welcome to episode five of the Modern Agile Show. I am so excited to be here once again on a gorgeous day in Berkeley, California. Today, we're going to start off by thinking about how do you get good at Modern Agile? And I believe that there are two things you really need to think about when you're trying to implement the four principles of Modern Agile. Let's talk about the vertical axis first. To get good at the vertical axis, that is, make people awesome and make safety a prerequisite, you need this. Vision. You need vision about where you're going to take your customer, about where you're going to take the people in your company. Make people awesome. You need a vision for that. You also need a vision for how you're going to make your world, your organization, your product, your service, how are you going to make it safer? How are you going to make safety a prerequisite? What is hazardous today? Where are the issues that are causing harm to internal folks or to your customers? Vision is key to being really good and make people awesome and make safety a prerequisite. Now, what about the horizontal axis? Okay. For that, here's what you need. Hustle. Experiment and learn rapidly. It's all about speed if you want to do it really well. And deliver value continuously. Again, it's all about speed if you want to do it well. Both of those principles are best done at high speed. And if anything's slowing you down, find a way to get rid of those obstacles. Hustle. Wake up with fire in your belly. Wake up with ways to experiment rapidly, to learn rapidly, and to deliver rapidly. Get on that really fast, continuous improvement loop. But you got to have your actions driven by hustle. So, vision and hustle. Hopefully that helps you with your practice of Modern Agile. Now, it's book time. I am excited to bring a book out which uh, I personally have read many times and studied. The book is called The Discipline of Market Leaders. Okay, Excellent book, best-selling book, New York Times bestseller. Um, this book talks about three different kinds of businesses. We have product leaders. We have companies that are customer intimate, right? They're intimate with their customers. And then we have companies that have operational excellence. All three are important. Operational excellence, customer intimacy, and product leadership. However, what they say in the book is, you're really only gonna be exceptional at one. And you can be good or whatever at the others, okay? And they talk about various companies and how they exemplify one of those three categories. For example, Federal Express is operationally excellent, right? What about product leaders, right? When they wrote this book, uh, Sony was a product leader, okay? Sony was constantly coming out with incredible products, whether it's televisions or, or the Walkman. Uh, today, we might look at Apple, although lately they've been stumbling a little bit, maybe, but Apple is absolutely a product leader, right? And then there are the customer intimacy companies, companies that take the time to really understand their customers and work very, very closely with them, 
Uh, Airborne Express is an example in this book. It's another shipment company, but they customize their shipments around a company's workflows. So they really get into the nitty-gritty nitty details of the entire um, workflow of a company, whereas a FedEx simply offers an amazing assortment of, of ways to deliver, deliver things flawlessly, right? Operational excellence. So again, three different styles of working. I'm gonna look a little bit today at the, the product leader role. Okay, I'm gonna read a little passage from this about product leaders. So, a company pursuing product leadership continually pushes its products into the realm of the unknown, the untried, or the highly desirable, right? And thinking, make safety, uh, sorry, make people awesome, right? Its practitioners concentrate on offering customers products or services that expand existing performance boundaries. A product leader's proposition to customers is best product, period. A product leader consistently strives to provide its market with leading edge products or useful new applications of existing products or services. Reaching that goal requires that they challenge themselves in three ways. First, they must be creative. More than anything else, being creative means recognizing and embracing ideas that may originate anywhere inside the company or out. Second, they must commercialize their ideas quickly. To do so, all their business and management processes are engineered for speed. Are you thinking hustle? You should be. Third and most important, they must relentlessly pursue ways to leapfrog their own latest product or service. If anyone is going to render their technology obsolete, they prefer to do it themselves. As the saying goes, put yourself out of business before your competitor does. Product leaders do not stop for self-congratulation. They are too busy raising the bar. So. Small passage about product leaders. Again, I recommend the book if you ever want to read this thing. Um, I believe that reading books like this can really improve your practice of things like Modern Agile, right? This inspires me when I read it to think about how can my company be a product leader? And I'm going to tell another story about uh, industrial logic. I like to tell stories from uh, my own experience. So here's a story. Um, you know, this is kind of funny, but my daughter's calling. I'm going to hold on a second here. Hey, Sophia, I'm actually making a show right now. You're on the air. See you later. All right. Sorry about that. Um, but you know what? This is a casual show and that's my life. So several years ago, uh, it was just around this giant recession that we had, the global recession, We're talking 2008, okay? We were working with a very large and important search engine company, my company, Industrial Logic. We'd been working with them for about four years at that point. They loved our training and they wanted to continue to use it. There's a long waiting list to get into our workshops. But there was a new... Uh, rule coming down. The rule was no more vendors. The recession's beginning and we're just going to do everything ourselves. So can't work with outside vendors. Okay. Well, we've been building up our e-learning and using it in classroom. 
And this client said, uh, could we potentially use your e-learning and uh, have our own people teach it? Now, that would have been okay for us, but we thought we could do um, a lot better if we actually just taught the e-learning ourselves. In other words, provided the e-learning to this company worldwide and supported them in, in their learning. So a little tug of war began where some people inside the company wanted to just use our, our training materials for teaching and we wanted to provide e-learning across the board globally and do it that way. So to make a long story short, we ended up winning and they bought a very large amount of our e-learning for a lot of money. It was a fantastic achievement. We were extremely happy. How did we do that? We did something that this book talks about. And I, I don't want to you know, brag too much here, but what we did was we pushed the limits of ourselves and our product way beyond our imagination. Here's the deal. When people are in our classrooms, if they're taking an exercise and they're working, ideally there's an instructor walking around looking at people as they're programming. What we did was to say, we're going to automate that role. We're going to create an ability to basically get metadata while people are programming. And then we're going to have the computer automatically analyze the metadata and give feedback the way a, an instructor would give feedback. It's almost like artificial intelligence, not that complicated, but uh, we, we basically quickly pushed ourselves to produce this software, showed it to these, this customer, and they said, game changer. I'll never forget the words. This is a game changer. We want to go with your solution of e-learning across, across the globe. Let's do this. And of course, from there, we took this, this, this new capability, we call it automated critiques, and we matured it, made it better and better, and applied it to other software languages, and it's with us today. Um, this for us was definitely a product leadership uh, moment, right? Where we really pushed our product in a direction that made it, you know, by far different from all other products out there, right? That was, gosh, way back around 2008. So what I see from doing that though, is that they're right on target here. We were trying to make people awesome by providing this ability, okay? And I think we did, people absolutely loved it. Uh, our focus that was difficult was how do we make it safe to give an automated critique when, when the critique itself could be flawed, right? Make safety prerequisite says people, uh, have faith in our automated, you know, artificial intelligence critique. So we've been constantly perfecting that and making it better and smarter. All right, so that's a, a quick story from our past that, um, you know, I'll, I'll never forget. Now what I want to do is I want to answer a question. So we have a question here from a fellow who uh, has a handle. His handle is just Rodders. So thank you for submitting this. The question is, when deadlines exist, what impact do they have on following modern Agile's guiding principles? Okay, well, I think deadlines, um, of course, uh, we can't avoid them. Sometimes I really like deadlines. Sometimes I don't. I don't like uh, the deadline of a fixed length time box, which happens every week or two or three 
boom, deadline, 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 always deadlines, I find that that doesn't lead to the greatest results. But that's a whole other topic for a different show. In general, how do you safely hit a deadline? Well, what we've been doing for many years is saying, let's work backwards from what do we need as a result of the deadline, at that date, what's needed. Let's begin, for example, with a, a walking skeleton. Let's begin with the embryonic version of what we need to actually have on the deadline. And then once we have that version, what can we add to it to make it more complete and more complete and more complete until we hit the deadline? So uh, I call that evolutionary design. And to me, that helps get to the deadline faster. Uh, the deadline is sometimes arbitrary, so you have to figure out how actually critical is the deadline. Sometimes there are real deadlines. A, a appearance at a conference is probably a real deadline. Um, an arbitrary date for having your article in, like I mentioned in another episode, not so much a real deadline. Uh, so experimenting and learning rapidly, the faster, the faster you hustle, the faster you work, the sooner you're going to realize, am I going to create something of value on the deadline? So those principles, the, that principle applies. Um, the make people awesome principle. You need to really think carefully whether or not the deadline, the date, gives you enough time to make people awesome, right? It could be that it's so aggressive that the best you're going to do is create something okay by then, right? And you could say, well, it's a prototype, it's a first release, uh, it's gonna get better over time. You know, that might lead you to even question the deadline if you don't have enough time. So there's no one simple answer that, you know, modern agile doesn't say you work with deadlines or don't work with deadlines. Again, it's four principles. If I'm going to apply the four principles to a deadline, the first place I'm gonna start with is safety. How can I work in such a way that I'm not completely stressed out and doing really poor work to hit my deadline? Now, some people would say, wait a minute, Joshua, there's, there's research that says stress is good. There's healthy stress. I get that. I've experienced that myself, right? Um, you stress out a bit your work and you get something done and then, no, it's not perfect, but it's, it's the best you could do and it's out there versus nothing being out there. That's okay. Right? What I'm talking about is the heavy kind of stress that really uh, harms you, right? Where you're, you're, you're sick, you're getting sick, you're harming people in your life, uh, through your relationships, whatever. That's bad stress, right? So uh, I do like to, de to, you know, as we say, get rid of the stress, de-stress the situation by trying to create completion early. Um, that's how I make safety a prerequisite, and then I start iterating more and more towards my, my end goal. If I'm creating a, a keynote speech, I like to have the thing be ready for me to give the speech at any time. I don't like to have tons of slides in a very half-baked state, right? Make a slide, get it to the way you like it. I could go live with this thing. Make another. Tell my story embryonically, right? The basics of the story that I want to tell. Now I can start fleshing it out and adding detail if I have time. See, I'm starting with the end in mind. So that's really how I'd answer that question. Hopefully, um, you know, I, I did a decent job answering it. Um, that's it for today. Short, quick show. Again, I want you to think about this concept here 
of vision and hustle, right? This is the way you get good at modern agile. If I look at the people I admire and the way they operate in the world, my God, they are, they've got a vision and they are hustling to get to reach it, right? So thank you again for watching and we'll see you next time.